0: I'm the uh, I'm the other guy, and uh, it's good to be back with you. We we're working our way through the Book of Exodus. We have uh, gone through the first ten chapters over the last uh, few months, and uh, uh, last week Josh uh, went through the nine plagues and. 32 minutes and 13 seconds, or something like that, and uh, did a actually a masterful and, and uh, this majestic job, I thought, of bringing us through and and holding without going into the, all the details of each and every one, the meaning and purpose and, uh, behind the, the plays, and and that was very helpful. And so we accelerated last week, and now this week we're going to just stop and amble for uh, four or five Sundays as we look at the last of the plagues, the tenth plague, and uh, not simply at that plague because it only takes up about two or three verses in Scripture, but that which precedes it and that which follows it and is part of the parcel and, uh, and and can't be separated from that tenth plague uh, will take us a little bit of time uh, to look at, uh, and so we begin. Uh, mini-series within this series on Exodus on this uh, play, because that's just how it falls out in Scripture. Uh, this really isn't uh, a typical sermon. It's not in particular sermonic form this morning. Uh, I'm going to sort of read the passage and make comments on it as I go through, and then get to the end and make a two large observations on it and, uh, and that'll be it. Uh, let me tell you what the passage says before I read the passage, uh, what, what we're looking at. Uh, Moses, uh, chapter nine, uh, in chapter 11, Moses warned Pharaoh of the certainty of God's final ca- catastrophic plague, which was a plague of judgment, on Egypt. Having said that, then uh, we begin in chapter 10. You'll see there that the last couple of verses of chapter 10 are printed in your, uh, in your bulletin. You'll probably want to maybe follow along with your finger because I'll be stopping at places and going off on the rabbit trail. Um, but we start there uh, in chapter 10, verse 28. Then Pharaoh said to him, this is the after the ninth plague is finished the plague of darkness. Says to him Moses, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say. I will not see your face again. And then we arrive at chapter 11. Mentally, what I want you to do, or take a pen if you want to, or a pencil, and in your bulletin, put a parenthesis around the first three verses of chapter 11. It's a parenthetical, historical statement, setting the stage for what follows, explaining what, what, what follows. Uh, verse 1 The Lord said to Moses, Stop there. The Lord said to Moses... Drop down to verse 4. And it says there... So... Moses said. And understand... uh, What's happening here. God said... And Moses did. And I say that to just... Ask this question. How many times... How many times as God said in his word, through circumstances, whatever, to you and to me. And we haven't done. Instead of a so, there's a but, as we went our own way and did our own thing. Enough said. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh And upon Egypt. That word plague doesn't mean what you think it means in the original. We think of the bubonic plague or or the black plague or whatever when we hear that term. But what that word actually means is a strike or a blow, a physical strike or a physical blow, usually by a superior to one under him. Generally a ruler to a subject. And ordinarily in the Old Testament, not always, but usually, it's of God bringing judgments. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they asked, the the Egyptian people, uh, the Jewish people, that they ask, every man and his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor, uh, the Egyptians, for silver and gold jewelry. Uh, you've heard that before. You, you heard it in Genesis 15. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. That echoes in Exodus 3, when the Lord's calling Moses. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor, and any woman who lives in her house, for silver and gold and jewelry. And then we'll see that fulfilled in the 12th chapter. Verse 3, And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. But not, note, in the eyes of Pharaoh. And now we get to the warning proper. Close the parenthesis there at the end of verse 3. And now we get to the warning proper. So, Moses said, it's not in the text, But Moses said to Pharaoh and note this Moses has failed nine times. He's come to Pharaoh and brought an ultimatum and it happened and it made no difference to the Hebrew situation. In fact probably worsened it. Nine times he's come to Pharaoh. Nine times he said what what's going to happen and it's happened and nothing's changed nothing's changed but god said and moses did for the tenth time he did thus says the lord About midnight, which is a time of vulnerability in Egypt, remember that Pharaoh is supposedly the son of the sun god, Ray. And apparently Ray went down below at the end of his shift. And darkness was there. And the Egyptians were a people who feared the dark because their God wasn't with them. The God of the Hebrews never slumbers, he never sleeps. The God who keeps Israel is always awake and alert and watching and with them. So it's in the middle of the night that he will come. I will bring... And he says the same thing in, in uh, verse uh, 1. I will bring, uh, uh, you know, uh, this plague upon them. And, uh, and what he's saying is, Moses, you and Aaron are out of the picture now. So you deliver this message, and then I'll handle it. I'm taking over. This is the Lord's judgment. And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. And the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle we've heard this before too in chapter 4 then you shall say to Pharaoh thus says the Lord Israel is my firstborn son and I say to you let my son go that he may serve me if you refuse to let him go Behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So God, Moses comes with God's message. There will be an ultimate and indiscriminate judgment on Egypt. written. Pharaoh is the highest person in the land, the top of the social structure. That maiden, that that that, that slave girl. at at the stones-grinding meal was at the absolute bottom of the order and every firstborn child in between wherever they were on the ladder and in the pecking order would die along with the firstborn of the cattle we'll revisit that verse 6 there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast. Osiris was the god of death to the Egyptians. He had an assistant, a a lower god, named Anubis, who was god of the dead and of embalming. And if you see a a, a graphic representation of Anubis, he's in the form of a dog. And the firstborn of the cattle are going to die. Why? Remember the golden calf? Egyptians were idolaters. They worshipped idols in the form of cattle other sorts of animals. God, by and large, had the form, the type of of animals. God is proving his superiority once again to all these faux gods, uh, the gods who were no gods, the gods who were simply idols. That you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And here, at least two key doctrines of Scripture just jump up in your face and you can't help but see them. That of salvation by grace and that of divine election. Deuteronomy 7, 6-8 Moses has brought the people up to the land but not into it and he's preparing them now he's rehearsing everything this new generation of Israelites that will go into the land and he says to them for you are a people holy to the Lord your God the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth And they stood a little (laughs) taller and a little way back. And they were pretty proud of that. Until he said, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. From the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God showed his partiality to his elect people in the Old Testament, Israel. But also read Ezekiel, the 20th chapter. It tells you a little more about those elect people. On that day, says God, I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt. I said to them, cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Elect Israel in the middle of Egypt were rebellious idolaters. And you and I best not lose sight of that. And all these your servants shall come down to me, Moses speaking to Pharaoh, and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, the first nine wonders. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. That's the text. That's the passage that we're talking about. Here's the point. I mean the grand point that needs to be made. Moses' warning of Pharaoh likewise warns us that God's promised final judgment is certain. God delivers on his promises. He's faithful to his promises. He ultimately fulfills all his promises. Good promises and bad promises. Promises of grace, but also promises of judgment. Judgment. Nine times, nine times he sent Moses and Aaron into the presence of Pharaoh. See, he does this stuff in his time, in his way, to his purpose. Nine times God bested the gods of Egypt and of Pharaoh. Nine times he gave them opportunity to repent and to let his people go. But they refused. He hardened Pharaoh's heart simply by giving him over to its desires. It's what he does to all of unbelieving mankind. Romans 1, remember? God gave them up. Verse 22, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity. Verse to six: God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. God gives them up. And their hearts are hardened more and more as they're allowed to pursue the desires of their sinful hearts. And those hearts that were already hard are hardened. On the one hand, God gave them rope and time to hang themselves on the gallows of their sin. On the other hand, he exercised patience by giving them time to turn to him. Peter wrote, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should be saved. Nine times, nine different ways, God warned Pharaoh of the consequences of his hardness of heart. Nine times, Pharaoh ignored the warning. Pharaoh, see, is a picture of the world and particularly of the unbelieving world and its ignoring of every warning, every call of God, every opportunity to turn and to be saved. Pharaoh stood on the precipice of sure disaster certain and absolute there would be no escape there would be no second chance he had God's solemn assurance just as you and I and the world around us do and no one no one can say that he or she was not warned. The warnings echo all around. They echo on every page of scripture almost. They echo in every every disaster that's ever taken place or will take place in history. When you get home this afternoon, pick up your Bible, go to the back of the book, and just scan Revelation. you don't to read every word, scan it, and listen. Listen to the warnings. Listen to the reminders of the plagues. Listen to the promise of the judgment that is certain. And sure to come. That's what we learn, don't we, from, from God's words to Moses. We've got all these poinsettias here in the so we need to say one more thing. See, this passage, just Moses' warning to Pharaoh also reminds us why those are here. Moses' warning to Pharaoh reminds us of the necessity of Christmas. The Hebrews, whom God was going to deliver, were every bit as guilty as the Egyptians on whom he was going to bring disaster and from whom he is going to deliver them. How in the world, how in the world could they justly be saved? How in the world could they justly be delivered? For that matter, how in the world can you and I be justly saved, justly delivered? In a word, in a word, Christmas. Justice. God has to exercise justice. God is just. He cannot do anything unjustly. How then can he deliver these unjust Hebrews? How then can he uh, deliver you and me? unjust, unrighteous as we are. That's why Jesus had to come. God had to exercise justice if he were truly to be a just judge. And so he sent his only begotten, his firstborn, if you will, son, to earth through the incarnation. Conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, having borne the full weight of the Father's judgment on your and my sin. And that brings us to the conclusion, I guess. One day this week, thinking about this whole thing of judgment, I was uh, I was reading a, a devotional book that a friend of mine gave me a while back, and the devotional for that book was from James, chapter three, verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who touch will be judged, uh, who teach will be judged with greater judgment. That verse. That verse has bothered me since the late 60s when I was a relatively new convert and was teaching 5th grade Sunday school class. The first time it hit me, I said, what am I doing? <laughs> I don't know my, you know, I don't even, I can't even, I mispronounce it. I was teaching the children, the, the King, in the Book of Kings. I kept talking about Shechem you know, and teaching and talking about all these things and everything. And it still bothers me. So I left there and went to seminary and became a preacher and stand in the pulpit and every time I read that I think about it you know, what comes to mind is all the stupid things I've said over the years. All of the absolutely wrong things that I've taught with authority. And You know, it just heaps up and heaps up and piles up. And and this was one of those days. And the devotional itself gave no help whatsoever. It just majored on the judgment, you know. (coughs) And there I was. Back to my doubts, fears, lack of assurance, and all of those things that bug us. Then I remember. I've already been judged. I've been found guilty. And, and I've been condemned. I've been sentenced to judgment. But that judgment has been fully carried out. God judged Jesus Christ in my For my sin, for my shortcomings, for my affairs, my debts paid. My sentence is met. God's justice has been served on the cross of His Son, Jesus. The sun hadn't come up yet on the day, and I had been lost and gone to hell, and all of a sudden I was raised up from the dead, and I was alive, and I could go in and shower and get dressed, and Go on and do, well, the things I do. And so, that afternoon, I'm standing in line in the pharmacy to pick up a prescription. And the Christmas music has begun because Thanksgiving is behind us. And it is blaring out of the speakers as I stand there waiting. And, you know, it's just... It's loud, it's sentimental, obnoxious, annoying. And there I stood. Rain, elves, and holly, and mistletoe, and all of that bearing out of think of was how sad. This is the best the world can do. This is it. Listen, suck it in, take it in. In the face of threat of absolute judgment, of disaster, of death, eternal death, and separation from God. In lieu of the good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to bear our judgment for all who believe in him, this is the best they can do. Reindeer, elves, holly, mistletoe, fat men, How much better than what we sang just a little while ago good Christian men and women rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now you need not fear the grave Jesus Christ was born to save calls you one and calls you all to gain his everlasting. Christ was born to save. Christ was born.